0: You know, our vision has always been, at least mine and what we've worked on over the years, um, you know, for lack of a better word, I want to be the best Iron police department around. Um, and with that being said, you know, we we want to be, you know, professional we want to be ethical. We want to be educated. We want to be compassionate. We want to be all these things to be the best police department around. I think over the years from even the time that, you know, I started and it's, it's a continuing work in progress. So when, when I sit and think about, yeah, what is the vision of the police department and what the vision of uh, the officers and dispatchers for our department is, I, I, I want to be the best darn police department out there.
1: Welcome to Seaside 101, we're your hosts Aiden and Mary. This podcast is a collaboration between the City of Seaside and Seaside High School. In this series, we're interviewing Seaside City officials to learn more about what goes on behind the scenes. The goal being to educate the public and inspire people to get involved in their communities.
2: Today we'll be interviewing Dave Hamm, the City's Chief of Police.
1: Alright, so first question for you, what responsibilities is the Police Department in charge of?
0: Well, we've got a couple of major roles. Um, First off is public safety in the form of law enforcement. And then we also have the uh, 911 dispatch center. So we... Play dual roles when it comes to a couple of different responsibilities for public safety. Uh, law enforcement obviously is uh, the, the primary portion of the police department, where uh, we're responding to um, in-progress calls for service, whether that be um, you know disturbances, fights, or what have you. And then there's also kind of the investigation side of when we are uh, following up on maybe some cold cases or frauds or something like that, where you know maybe the crime happened days, weeks ago, and we're just now kind of finding out about it. So um, we also have a major role in traffic enforcement, meaning safety uh, within the city. So we play that role as well as hopefully getting some crime prevention stuff going on. So with our what's called kind of community policing, um, interacting with uh, many of the business owners or public um, homeowners whenever they're having problems in their community, we're trying to help with whatever uh, livability problems they might be having. And so we try to do as much preventative maintenance and work ahead of time to prevent the crimes. Um, And then emergency preparedness. We are very involved with the city as a whole, um, along with the other departments, um, in kind of getting our emergency preparedness plans and uh, operations ready to go in case there's a major problem in in the city. In a lot of media, the job
1: of a police officer is often portrayed as being pretty action-packed. How accurate is that?
0: That's, uh, you know, one of the things about our job is, you know, oftentimes you see the police department cruising by with their lights and sirens on or the fire department cruising by with their lights and sirens on. And so we think of the action that's happening there. Um, Oftentimes, though, yeah, there's there's a lot of boredom that kind of goes along with the day to day um, mundaneness, let's say, of of the job, like probably any profession. So um, oftentimes you kind of find yourself, especially on, let's say, a, a night shift in the middle of the winter when it's not quite as active in town. um, You might go for quite a while, hours, um, if not sometimes, you know, maybe even days before there's really anything that's going to kind of get your pulse rate up a little bit. So uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, downtime when it comes to thinking about, you know, just action-packed from call to call to call. There are days where uh, we're, we're doing just that and there's disturbance here or disturbance there and calls for service here or what have you and so we are kind of keeping pretty busy with doing those things but to a certain degree some things like in any job um, kind of gets a little bit repetitive gets a little bit mundane and all that so we go from zero to a 100 sometimes in our what we're doing sitting around doing police reports or following up on something and then something hot happens and we're needing to drop everything and start uh, heading that way with lights and sirens so
1: So with all those responsibilities you mentioned, what's your specific role as chief of police?
0: Right. Um, It's kind of I mean, obviously, for the chief of police position, which is my role, um, you know, the leadership of the department is is falling heavily on my shoulders obviously we have or maybe not obviously you may not know we have a, a lieutenant and some sergeants in there that kind of spreads out our supervisory roles but for the most part um you know i kind of look at myself as kind of the team leader of uh of uh, about 20 officers uh and then eight dispatchers within uh the division and the department so um you know certain things. Uh, If you go into kind of a leadership versus management type of thing, you know, you manage things. You manage your resources as far as equipment and stuff like that, but you lead your personnel. And so I like to think of myself as uh, the team leader of our department and uh, making sure, one, that they have everything that they need to do their job effectively, efficiently, in the best way. Uh, that may include um, making sure that they get up-to-date training on certain things. We just recently had a legislative session where some new laws are getting changed or implemented, and so um, part of my role is to make sure that we get um, make sure that we get uh, that training out to the officers with the new changes in, in ORSs. So, what's your background? Okay. Um, yeah. So. My education has been basically uh, through community college. Um, My background kind of growing up was in Salem, Uh, graduating high school there, went in the Navy right after my high school years. And then when I got out of the Navy after four years, I started attending Chemeketa Community College and uh, went through their criminal justice program. Um, I never did end up finishing with my associate's degree before I got hired actually here in Seaside. And so my full time career has been here in seaside i did some reserve police officer work in independence which is on the outskirts of salem there before i was hired here full-time and then through the years of um um, different continuing training through um, the profession and the job here, uh, including your basic academy at the very beginning, and then just ongoing um, continuation education in the in the fields, going into detectives, going into um, supervisory schools, middle management schools, executive levels as I've made rank throughout the years. So you just kind of pick up a bunch of different educational courses and whatnot.
1: For our On the Street segment, we've sent out our fellow FPLA members into the city to gather questions from the public. This one's for Dave Ham.
0: Why haven't the homeless camps around the Mill Pond and the Recycling Center been uh, taken down and all that area cleaned up? Because I was under the impression that that was a park area that everybody gets to enjoy instead of a few people thinking they can take it over and live there. And now it's unsafe. Due to legal decisions from the federal courts and recent state legislation, the laws concerning prohibited camping ordinances are difficult to enforce. The City Council has been working on a city plan for hosting community meetings, work groups, and have had the first reading of a proposed ordinance. Once this ordinance is in effect, we'll have more authority to work on getting the camps in compliance with what the City Council expects.
2: What advice would you give to someone pursuing a similar career to yours? Um you know
0: the the profession has changed a little bit over the years that I've even been a part of it and I think probably every generation of police officer could probably come through and say something like that if not in any department or profession but um one I would be making sure that um one you do have a strong interest in what law enforcement is kind of about um and at the very basic part of that I would say that you know you you should have a drive to um help other people and to have kind of a service minded um, personality so to speak. Um, but the the tips that I have talked with um, people who are interested in pursuing it is oftentimes it, it's about um, you know college and criminal justice is always brought up and it doesn't necessarily need to be um, a full-blown college degree. Uh, it may not necessarily need to be a criminal justice degree. Um, communication skills is huge so working on any kind of um, Um, courses that get you some interpersonal communication skills, Um, if you have some courses that are along the lines of sociology, psychology, human services, I, I always tell people to really get a good flavor of that in their college. Oftentimes these kinds of degrees go there anyway it'll be part of your basic package or curriculum anyway but those are some of the areas that um you know you really need to have for this profession problem solving oftentimes means you're dealing with somebody and you may not have any idea what their background is what they're really needing and oftentimes you're kind of um based on your experience, this may be the resource that we can offer to you and you should make contact with. And so being a good problem solver, being a good communications um, person would be really beneficial for getting into the line of work.
2: Actually, when we were talking with the fire chief, he was talking about how diverse the department is. Would you say that you guys are also diverse where like you have some people who are better at talking to certain age groups or do all train like to kind of accommodate to everyone. I think
0: that is a really good explanation. There are a lot of things that I'm not very good at and somebody else is. And so when we're out there working together and we respond to something, oftentimes we're sending a couple officers at a time even if it's not something where we really need another person. But just having that experience point of view, diversity of somebody else, I may not be getting along with you, but this officer clicks really well with you. And so we will feed off of that. And if the rapport is bad between you and I, it's time for you to go talk to that person. And so, um, yeah, everybody's got a little kind of different perspective, different way of talking to somebody, a different rapport. Me, who is not on the street as much as some of the officers are, meaning I'm in the office doing paperwork or something more so than they are maybe, um, I don't necessarily know everybody by name and face anymore. And so these officers who are out there may very well know, hey, chief, you're dealing with so-and-so. you might want to try this, you might want to try that, or I've got a really good report, then let me come over and help you out type of thing. So absolutely, when you're talking about diversity of just being able to either one, communicate with somebody or even um, the abilities that they have, I'm the first to admit that, you know, I can barely turn my phone on sometimes. And so when we're talking about um, downloading or getting some kind of information sent electronically, evidence of even surveillance video or something from another business or something, I oftentimes need to have somebody else come in and help me with that kind of work because I'm just not fluid and very good with it. So, yeah, so technology
1: is, I guess, one of the challenges for you. But what are some other challenges you guys encounter?
0: Um, Right now, there's a big challenge for us that has to deal with um, mental health and um, homelessness within the city and world, really, Um, because there are... Certain laws are prohibited for us to kind of enforce certain things because of maybe some what's called case law. So a judge has determined this case with homelessness, camping, or something like that is maybe unconstitutional, but it's still on our books and the people within our community um, want something to be done about it. And so there's a fine line sometimes with us being able to enforce certain rules um, and with the mental health side of things. That's a whole nother ball of wax because people are in crisis mentally, uh, are in different places, aren't either very communicative or poorly describing what their issue is, or don't want to have anything to do with you. Yet they're in such a crisis out in the community that there's really only us to call when we're really not trained, equipped, and set to to deal with them. Past kind of just an initial triage, so to speak, and maybe call mental health uh, workers to come in and help out. So for me and for us, a lot of that um, problem that we're dealing with really kind of evolves around that and revolves around that right now. So um, but yes, there's technology issues that come into play all the time for us because, you know, it's advancing and. We don't necessarily have the means, resources, money to stay on top of, of really being able to combat a lot of computer crime type of stuff. So there are other agencies, state, federal, that, you know, you can get assistance with with some cases. But there's a lot of times where, you know, we're kind of missing the mark on certain things just because we don't really have – the ability to, we're a small department, we're a small town, and we just don't have the capability sometimes to go as deep with some cases that we'd maybe like to, so kind of behind the ball on that. One
2: situation that Seaside Police had to deal with was the spring break riot of 99. The initial cause is unknown, but the end result was over 200 young people unleashing mayhem upon the city. The police had to bring out tear gas and riot gear to stop the meaningless chaos, and about 20 people were arrested in total.
1: I just can't imagine the cause for such large-scale chaos. The running theory is that it all started from a simple fight between a few people.
2: I was going to ask, you kind of mentioned earlier how the public kind of sees the extreme situations of what you deal with. I feel like a lot of that is due to how the media portrays you. What are your thoughts on the portrayal in media?
0: Well, it really kind of, it depends. It's situational, like a lot of different things. Um, When I sit and think about seaside and how we've been portrayed um especially by our local media um it's it's good i think we have a good relationship i think they do a pretty good job of um reporting what they're being told uh, what they're seeing uh, what they're getting you know input from all sides um when i think about more regional media, such as, you know, let's take Portland and the riots that have been going on and all that kind of stuff. I think they have a pretty um, wide berth with being able to show an image, talk about that image, but maybe you didn't see what led up to that image. Meaning, yeah, you may just show tear gas being thrown or shot out uh, at a crowd or something like that. But, you know, did they really report on how many times People had been warned that you're in violation of, you know, the crowd management plan that they have in place and laws and all that kind of stuff or the fact that they've been hurling, whether it be bodily fluids, you know, bottles, rocks, fire sticks, whatever you want to say. And so when you kind of get a a broader perspective that that did happen, and maybe it didn't, um, but you're only getting that point of view that, oh, the cops are now throwing tear gas and lobbing tear gas for no apparent reason, just because they want to have their voice heard. To me, that's where it becomes problematic, and it would be nice to see a more broad, open, and diverse reporting versus, you know, an isolated um, perspective. But generally speaking, um, you know, we have a a good rapport here with our local reporters, um, and if there is ever a problem I can go to them and and talk with them a little bit about um, how I didn't feel that might have been accurate or what can we do to make this more accurate. Um, Social media is a completely different um, platform that obviously we have, you know, zero control over. um, But it does get frustrating to see and hear uh, certain things that might be being, um, you know, tweeted out or what have you or or some kind of comment thread that's going on where something gets said that maybe – accurate or partially accurate but then it just continues to get fed upon by people who have no idea what they're talking about and one thing leads to another and it just kind of snowballs and it's there's there's nothing there that's accurate and from our perspective law enforcement there's certain things that we don't feel comfortable especially in the early stages of an investigation to push out so on one hand you know are you doing Are we doing ourselves a favor by not making a comment about a case? However, if it's something very sensitive where you're a victim, you may not want that information out there. And we don't want that information out there because we're still trying to gather facts and work an investigation and hopefully arrest somebody where a crime's been committed. Whereas the public gets to, oh, this happened. And then this person says, well, I heard this. And then I heard this. Next thing you know, it's snowballed and there's no signs of any truth to that. So when it comes to social media versus your mainstream media, uh, sometimes there's definitely a, a a problem in what's getting communicated out there. But generally speaking, especially locally, we have a pretty good rapport with what's being reported out there.
2: What have you read or listened to recently that has inspired you in your life?
0: You know, I uh, was thinking about that. Um, I will be the first to admit I'm not a big reader. Um, What usually inspires me or what gets my interest in reading is either some kind of um, history. Um, Lately, it's been maybe a presidential um, history. Uh, I've been working on a book that's running through all the presidents of war, basically, and it's talking about presidents who have been in office during a war. And it talks a little bit about maybe leadership skills or leadership things here and why they made some command decisions there. Um, But one of the things that really kind of, you know, recharges my batteries professionally is um, certain regular conferences that I attend. I'm a member of the Oregon Association of Chiefs of Police. There's usually at least um, two conferences a year where there's... um, a training seminar that comes along with that, and leadership uh, training, oftentimes with that. And so, hearing the stories of different um, chiefs, admin, or anybody that's been a part of some kind of situation, case um, that they can bring kind of those true stories to you, and and what worked well and what didn't work well. Because oftentimes, small department, big agencies, you know, a lot of the things that we're dealing with are the same it's just they may have it on a more grand scale so to speak and so i really like going to those kinds of conferences and, and just listening to the different speakers and them bringing you know short stories maybe a 2 hour seminar 4 hour seminar on what's been working for them so there's always little tidbits that I can bring back. So as far as answering that question, I don't have anything real great and you know inspiring for you to uh, go directly to. However, that's where I get my motivation and kind of the rejuvenation uh, for me professionally.
1: You know, presidents during war often end up having to make tough decisions, and police officers often have to make decisions on the fly too. How do you make these choices?
0: You know, sometimes those um, are actually... I do not say easier decisions, but um, through the years of experience, trainings, and different things, um, you're kind of geared up and, and mentally prepared for those things. And so oftentimes, to be quite honest with you, you may not know if you're making the right decision. But in times of crisis, as long as you're not doing something obviously just really dumb, um, unethical, illegal, Any decision sometimes is going to be better than no decision. And so uh, I find myself that, you know, yes, most experiences that we've had here play into that next crisis mode or whatever that we have. And so, um, you know, again, experience just kind of helps dictate and make some of those decisions a little bit more easy. The nice thing is when you're in a crisis is oftentimes it's affecting other departments. You've got the fire chief, you've got public works, you've got your city manager. And so you're able to kind of bounce things off. If it's a split second decision, then it's something to be made right then. But if it's crisis and it's emergent and you're needing to make a decision, but you have time to kind of think about it, that's when you take that time. Maybe bounce it off somebody. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about that? Get your command staff together and make those decisions. Other times, yeah, there are some split-second decision-making uh, incidents and, and you just, you roll with it. And again, training, experience, you're pulling from and hopefully you're making the right decision.
2: i uh, just curious, do you have anything of, like, not related to work that's, like, interesting going on in your life?
0: I am a fairly new grandpa, and so that has really uh, been exciting for us. Um, I have two sons who are out of the house and uh, adults themselves, and my younger son is in the Army and uh, married, and they have their first baby well, about a year ago in april and so um we've been excited to kind of go down and visit them in texas where they're stationed every few months to kind of see the baby as she was uh, growing here a little bit and then this last summer um due to his training schedule his wife and the baby were here all summer and so we have spent a lot more time getting to know that child uh than we ever really expected just due to the you know the processor for them living so far away. So that really has just been, you know if I take this face mask off, you'd see my smile because she was just at the office visiting uh, a few minutes ago, right before I came here. So, um, coming from the personal side, that has been my, my summer excitement of having the grandbaby here and just watching her in these early years grow a little bit more than we really ever figured that we had. So, um, otherwise it's been a fun summer with, uh, some other friends and family and you know, picking up a little bit more golf this summer. And, um, I, Surprised as much golf that I played this summer, I still not improving, so I'm gonna have to work on that. So, <laughs> well, congrats, that's really exciting! Thank you,
1: yeah. Uh, I guess probably last question here: uh, if you were in our shoes interviewing yourself, what's one question that you would have asked that we didn't?
0: Um, that's a really good question. you know i think we kind of we we really kind of touched on it but i mean you know really going into one's motivation into, you know, any profession and why they were going there. And I think you guys really kind of hit on that a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, in this particular line of work, you know, people's motivations may very well be, be different, but, um, at least for me, you know, again, I think coming back to, um, you know, service of others, um, what am I doing to, um, you know, stay motivated in the position. this is one of those jobs that, um, uh, it's very easy to get cynical over the years, and I probably have when I sit and think about my coming in 25 years ago versus, you know, today, but uh, a little more calloused or what have you. But, um, you know, what's motivating you to just to, to stay there? Um, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, from the leadership perspective that, you know, I might be interested in asking is how um, what you're doing. And I could ask that of you now. Obviously, future business leaders of America, you guys are wanting to um, go there. And so... My question back to you would probably be, what are you doing to um, be that leader of the future type of thing? you know And my answer to that would probably be, well, I'm involved in FBLA. I'm involved in other extracurricular activities. Um, what kind of service projects are you guys involved? When you sit and think about doing a profession like law enforcement and fire services or what have you where your whole job is about, You know, protect and serve for the police department. That serve is service. What can I do to be your customer service representative for the city, type of thing? And so, um, you know, what kind of service projects are you guys getting involved in, fundraisings or what have you? And so, yeah, I guess if that was to come back to me, you kind of touched on it. I'll just kind of, I guess, elaborate a little bit more on that.
2: Well, that wraps up the episode. Thanks again to Dave Hamm for coming in for the interview. If you want to learn more about how things are run or want to get involved in your community, feel free to check out www.cityofseaside.us to stay updated with the latest of what's happening in Seaside, Oregon.
1: Production and editing were done by Aidan Usley and Mary Roberto. Our music was produced by Tyler Froberg. This project was coordinated with the help of John Rail and Mike Verholst. Once again, we're your hosts Aidan and Mary signing off until the next episode of Seaside 101.